Obama and Huckabee pulled off an upset in Iowa. How did they do it? And can they sustain the momentum in New Hampshire? Pat Robertson has again issued prophecies for the new year saying they are from God. What's his track record? And are prophets and prophecies for today? We'll talk about it. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. They said this day would never come. That's Barack Obama, and he won the Iowa caucus last night. And he's saying it was a surprise, and they say the day would never come. We're going to talk about Obama and what this means for the Democrats, particularly for Hillary Clinton, who came in third at the Iowa caucus last night. But on the Republican side, Mike Huckabee was the winner. I think it was about uh, the message. It's a refreshing thing, and I think a lot of people around America are looking at that race and saying, isn't it nice to know that a person can be elected president not because he has more money, but because he has more of a message that connects with everyday Americans who are out there struggling to put food on their table and uh, making sure their children have a better life. Mike Huckabee, the clear winner on the Republican side last night at the Iowa caucuses. Now, this is just the first step in the primary processes, but it is uh, a significant step for both of these candidates because uh, there were clear front runners several months ago, not Obama and not Huckabee. And what does this mean for Democrats? What does it mean for Republicans? And uh, we've been talking about the Huckabee factor the last two days, particularly he's pro-life and pro-family, but uh, not as conservative maybe on crime or on economics or on education as some Republicans would like. But is this a signal that actually the moral and ethical conservative vote, the evangelical vote, or wing of the Republican Party is actually more powerful than the economic conservative component or um, the um, national security component or the immigration component. We'll talk through that uh, with experts later in the program. In fact, Carl Jeffers will be with us in just a few minutes. But later today, uh, we now have the sound, the sound of Pat Robertson's conversation with the Lord about what is going to happen in 2008. There are predictions, predictions, six specific 
predictions about violence, recession, evangelism, the elections. Pat Robertson says he knows who's going to win the election. The Lord told him. Miracles. And he's going to explain why he got it wrong last year. And we're going to talk to one of our theologians here at Crystal College about this notion of continuing revelation. Does God reveal this kind of information uh, that uh, can be announced and pronounced, really, about the future? Is this accepted? Uh, Should this be accepted as the norm for evangelical Christians? We'll be talking about that at the half hour. We're going to ask you to call in and to comment on that. But let's go back to last night, and a credit to whom credit is due. Here is Barack Obama uh, celebrating his victory. Years from now, you'll look back and you'll say that this was the moment. This was the place where America remembered what it means to hope. All right. Obama says we're going to look back because I'm taking the White House and I'm taking this country. And we're going to say this is where it all began. With us to talk about it, Carl Jeffers, host of the show, Radio talk show, On Fire with Carl Jeffers. Been with us many times before. One of my favorite Democrats. Carl, welcome back to the program. Well, hello, Jerry. It's good to be with you today and to visit with your listeners. And Happy New Year to everyone as well. Happy New Year to you, Carl. Let me ask you, what is your take on uh, this excitement about Obama, the huge turnout for Obama, and the absolute uh, upset, particularly of Hillary Clinton, whom many people believed was a kind of an inevitable candidate, and they just thought she would win every primary in this caucus. What's your take on this? Uh, Well, let me start in reverse. Uh, I think that, number one, uh, the the media bears some blame for the the mantra of inevitable winner because the media put that on her. She never tried to campaign that way, but uh, the front-runner status, she had that so ensconced that the media did that, and then they questioned their own uh, judgment by using that. that They would say (laughs) she's the inevitable winner, and then after a while they said, is she really inevitable anymore? But they started that, so that case came out. Now, listen, uh, Barack Obama uh, scored a major uh, victory last night. It was a major upset. I will say this, Jerry, if he wins in New Hampshire and South Carolina, I don't believe that uh, uh, Hillary Clinton could stop him then. However, let's remember, Iowa is not the world. Uh, The factors of the last four United States presidents, three of them lost Iowa and became president. And in 2000, uh, I'm sorry, in in, uh, 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 President uh, uh, George Bush, George Bush, in fact, lost Iowa. But uh, John Kerry won Iowa, lost the election. Bill Clinton lost Iowa, won the election. So Iowa is not the answer uh, necessarily to what And Bill Clinton didn't win until Georgia, as I recall. He lost New Hampshire. He did not win a primary until New Hampshire, I mean, until Georgia. Georgia. In fact, you're absolutely right, Jerry. And in fact, he came in second in New Hampshire. And by coming in second, he was proclaimed, as you recall, the comeback kid. And he still hadn't even won yet. So, So that argues well for... Hillary Clinton. Now, what's against her is that she doesn't have as much time as Bill Clinton had and others have had in the past because of the truncated schedule. There's only five days from now when we have the New Hampshire primary. And she doesn't have the charm of Bill Clinton either. Let me ask you this. Uh, I want you to listen again to Oprah Winfrey as she campaigned for Barack Obama in Iowa. I've been inspired. 
I've been inspired to believe that a new vision is possible for America. Okay, uh, Carl, that's Oprah. She campaigned. You know, it's one thing for her to go there and say, I'm for this guy. But it was another thing, actually, for her just to draw crowds of 30,000. I mean, that's unheard of on a uh, primary stump speech circuit. Uh, what, what do you think about the Oprah effect? Was that the edge for Obama here? He's a very charismatic speaker. Or was it the issues? Does he really have issues that took him over the top? Well, I don't think it was the Oprah endorsement that did it. What I think that what helped Obama a great deal was Oprah's unbelievable, almost uh, up-to-the-heavens stature enabled her to draw focus and attention on Obama to give him a chance to win those voters over. It wasn't just Oprah saying, I'm for him, that did it. By her coming in and setting up the forums for him, it put the spotlight on him in a way that gave many people a chance to hear him who had not given him as much attention. And I must say, in, you're right, in those one-on-one and in speaker settings, he is very, very good, much better than he is in debate settings, which is a format that he does not like. And I do agree with those who say that last night, in his acceptance speech, he gave the best speech of his campaign. But I will say this, too, Jerry, is that many Democrats need to be cautious about thinking that America right now is prepared to accept an African-American with the level of experience that he has only two years in the United States Senate and in the state legislature before as president. I have said for a long time that America might be ready to overall vote for an African-American for president if they were one of the other. Either one, they had been vice president on a ticket and had served as vice president for four years or eight years, or if they were Colin Powell, because America loves generals and loves heroes who are military generals, no matter what color they are. And the way Obama is set up right now, I have told people before, and I'll tell you again, as wonderful as he is, and I like what he's saying, I like the vision he represents, but I have no interest in sitting around the Thanksgiving dinner table next uh, November talking about how wonderful it was that he came so close. And if you put him (laughs) on the stage with John McCain, I believe that John McCain would defeat Barack Obama, and I think Hillary would have a better chance of defeating uh, John McCain. But that's that's my assessment at this stage. All right, you're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to Carl Jeffers. He's the host of the radio show On Fire with Carl Jeffers, one of our regular political analysts here on Jerry Johnson Live, expert particularly on the Democrat side of the table. Uh, let's go, Carl, now to John Edwards. This is John Edwards' uh, comment, really, on the results last night. He came in second, by the way. No, I would never say that. Certainly wouldn't say that about Senator Clinton. But I think that what we're seeing is a huge momentum toward a change candidate. And I don't think, I mean, given all the money and time and effort that she and President Clinton spent here and to finish third, uh, it doesn't say good things for them. All right. So that's Edwards responding to the question, is Hillary finished. And Carl, we do want to address that in a minute. But the question I have to you is really about Edwards. I mean, he spent all this time and all this money in Iowa and he finished second. Where does he go from here? Well, well, he goes to New Hampshire, which in many cases 
Uh, people thought that if he did not win, that he wouldn't even go that far. But, you know, I have to smile a bit, Jerry, because his comments last night make me think that this was a, a team relay match. Uh, the reality is, is that, yes, there was a huge vote for change, but it wasn't a vote for him to make the changes. And, <laughs> and so he tried to sort of wrap himself into the, um, into the Obama victory, and I don't think that works. The reality is John Edwards had actually at one point been favored in Iowa because of his organization that he had there and because of how uh, well he did in 2004. Yes. And the fact that he lost by, by eight points to Barack Obama is a big defeat. For He's him. losing ground. He has lost ground. He's, he's lost ground. Well, let's go to Hillary Clinton because the fact remains she was the best known of all the candidates, but 70% of the voters voted against her or for other people. And I think that's significant. Here's Hillary Clinton's spin on the results last night. I was never a front runner of any significance in Iowa. Iowa I knew it was always going to be hard for me. It uh, has a lot of... Uh, difficulties that I knew were were there in terms of my candidacy. Now, Carl, she has a lot of money and a huge organization and vast experience, but uh, and I don't think anybody would say she's finished, but is she in trouble? Well, like I said, if, if Obama can maintain this momentum and by the truncated schedule, it favors him, and if he could somehow, as you've heard the expression, run the table, meaning he wins Iowa, he wins New Hampshire, and he also wins South Carolina, where African-American votes represent 50% of the Democratic votes in their primary, then I would say at that point that he would be unstoppable and she would be finished despite what could happen on Super Tuesday. However, however, I at this point think that there's a very good chance that either Hillary wins in New Hampshire or she finishes only one point behind him, and then that would change the dynamic altogether because the reality is, uh, Jerry, is that in the end, the people who pretty much are the supporting Hillary, the women of needs, 18 to 34, single moms, uh, single women, uh, working women, they were not in Iowa. Uh, They're in New Jersey. They're in California. They're in Pennsylvania, and that's why she still has had a 9 to 10 point lead in the national polls uh, versus the individual states, and she does have the money and the resources to keep going, as opposed to John Edwards, who if he doesn't really do well in New Hampshire, there's a real question about whether he could keep going. All right, Carl, we've got to go. I want to thank you for joining us, and we'll have you back again. Well, I look forward to it, Jerry. Next time, I'll give you some comments about uh, our friend uh, Mr. Huckabee and why Limbaugh and Hannity and all of the establishment conservative Republicans, I can't wait to go after him. You would have thought he was a Democratic nominee the way they're attacking him. All right, we'll talk about that in the next segment. Thank you, Carl, for being with us. And, folks, the Bible says in Proverbs 29, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people mourn. We're going to talk about the Republicans when we come back. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. 
Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Okay, that's our Dean last Last cycle uh, after the Iowa caucuses, he's now uh, chairman of the Democrat National Committee, and uh, but he didn't make it to president of the United States, and uh, but he was someone who had been surging at that time, and just reminding us of the excitement at these Iowa caucuses. But again, on the Democrat side, Barack Obama coming out number one, a strong, a strong effort by Mr. Obama, and then. John Edwards, number two, Hillary Clinton, number three. But what about the Republicans? On the Republican side, the big winner last night, by a huge margin, the former governor of Arkansas and Southern Baptist pastor, Mike Huckabee. Here's Mike Huckabee commenting on his win. I think it was about uh, the message. It's a refreshing thing, and I think a lot of people around America are looking at that race and saying, isn't it nice to know that a person can be elected president not because he has more money, but because he has more of a message that connects with everyday Americans who are out there struggling to put food on their table and uh, making sure their children have a better life. Okay, that's Mike Huckabee. Now, we've been talking about this the last two days on the program. That is, he's pro-life, anti-abortion, pro-family. He's for marriage between a man and a woman, not a man and a man or a woman and a woman. But he has not been so conservative on economics, on crime, on immigration, as some Republicans would like. Is this a sign, though, that the evangelical side of the party, the moral issues side of the party, asserting itself actually above and over the economic conservatives and the immigration conservatives. Carl Jeffers is back on the line with us. Carl seemed to want to talk about this. He just can't go away from us. Carl, you wanted to talk about this. What's your take on the Huckabee victory? Well, I didn't realize, Jerry, you would uh, track me down and get me back, though. <laughs> so I'll be careful about my... We're watching you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, listen, uh, number one, uh, his response was that, you know, people across America are saying, isn't it wonderful that this, that, and the other. I must tell you that, that for every person who responded that way, there's another 10 who are saying, Mike Huckabee? Are you kidding? I mean, that's just the reality, Jerry, yes. in terms of, of I know. America. And so he's got a lot of work to do. But the reality is also that he does create a fraction in, within the Republican Party. Reason being is that this is the first time that there's been an evangelical candidate who doesn't essentially toe the line on all of the issues in the way conservative Republicans would like. The reality is 
just as a rule, is that if someone has an evangelical Christian base, their position on all of the issues is satisfactory to conservatives. In his case, that's not the case, and that's why some of the more establishment-oriented Republicans, and even those who are considered to be on the far-right or conservative side, Limbaugh, Hannity, uh, they are all very concerned about him. But there's another issue that's come up about Mike Huckabee, and that is his electability. And here's one point I would make, uh, Jerry, and I'm, I'm glad and appreciate they having the opportunity to make it. There is so much negative feeling about Hillary Clinton, it sometimes even bothers me, and I'm a seasoned uh, observer of these events, and it's just, it's, but it's out there. But here's the one advantage. It's all out there. If you're negative about Hillary Clinton, your, your reservoir is filled. There's nothing more to vet. And so she has, for nine months, the opportunity to try to lower that reservoir if she can, and she's good enough to do that. If you are John McCain, uh, you have all of that out there. But Mike Huckabee is totally unknown, and his opponents, even among Republicans in the primaries, and certainly when he gets to the fall election, there would be constant leaks, things coming out. What he did is governor, this and that, because he wasn't known and he hasn't been vetted, and that's the kind of thing that can destroy a campaign, and I, I only remind you of the George McGovern and his vice presidential candidate, Thomas Eagleton, and then the revelations that come out, and they only come out, Jerry, when you have been not in the limelight, not in a high-profile situation, and no one's been examining. Okay, Carl, I get your point, but I want you to listen, I want you to listen to Ed Rollins, who is now working for Huckabee, and uh, I want you to respond to this. I'm here. I look forward to this challenge. Uh, I, I, think, I think Governor Huckabee has probably inspired me as much as, as Ronald Reagan. Okay, Carl, here's my question for you. Uh, you're right. Uh, they're going to try to take Huckabee down. There will be revelations and so forth and attacks. But uh, that's been happening now for two and a half, three weeks. I mean, he surged two or three weeks ago, and folks have been taking shots at him. There have been commercials out and against him. He still won convincingly. I saw last night Chris Matthews and Keith Oberman, two seasoned media liberals, interview Huckabee. They tried to take him down, and Howard Feynman embarrassed them after the interview to say, it looks like Huckabee wooed you and bested you, and Oberman and Matthews uh, looked embarrassed. That is, there's a charm to Huckabee that seems to work. And what do you make of that? I think, Chuck, I think, I think that uh, Mike Huckabee absolutely has that charm, and I think that Americans in general respond positively to that, and that will help him a great deal. He also has a good sense of humor. He also comes across as like just an average guy, and in fact, he can play down the image of an ordained minister if he so chooses and pick up the guitar and sound he like Bruce Springsteen. And, you know, and that's, that's, that's positive. And I, I will make one quick point. You mentioned Ed Rollins. Uh, I have nothing but the utmost respect for the professionalism of Ed Rollins. He is perhaps the number one guru in terms of political strategists working with any single individual uh, campaign, and that's helping Mike Huckabee a lot. And the negative ads, though, uh, uh, Jerry, they do work. You mentioned that he still bested everyone, and he won by uh, 38%. But the reality is he could have won by six or seven points yeah. more, but Mitt Romney spent that money with those negative ads, 
And they did work. They stopped the Huckabee surge, and that's the kind of thing that will happen because no matter how everyone says, I hate negative ads, I don't like them, in America, they work, and you'll see a lot more of that with uh, Mike Huckabee as time goes on. Well, Carl, I know you got to go, but the fact is Huckabee did run that ad. He just didn't have to pay for it, as you know. (laughs) By the way, that's exactly how the Swift Boat ads against John Kerry got so much publicity. Those guys only had $100,000, but the media, like I said before, they just get carried away. They ran the ad every night. Why did you need any more than $100,000? We're going on the TV all over the place, and that's the same thing they do with any of these ads like the one you're referring to. You're absolutely right, Jerry, and it's good to engage with you on that. All right, Carl, we'll talk to you later. Okay, folks, as you know, this show is about the Christian worldview, and we need to go ahead and just lay down this line right now. There's one clear difference between Mike Huckabee and the three Democrats we talked about in the last segment. Barack Obama is pro-abortion. John Edwards is pro-abortion. Hillary Clinton is pro-abortion. These people believe there is some kind of a right in the Constitution or the Bill of Rights for a woman or a doctor to kill an unborn child. Mike Huckabee, and not only Mike Huckabee, but a couple of others we're about to talk about on the Republican side, but Mike Huckabee believes in the sanctity of innocent human life, and he is pro-life and opposed to abortion. And I think we need to make that distinction. We've been talking about a lot of politics, but we need to remember the scriptural principles, the sanctity of human life. And that should be very important to Christians. And I think it ought to be an encouragement. Uh, even if you disagree with Mr. Huckabee on taxes or immigration or on crime— or you may think he's not strong enough or conservative enough on those issues, it ought to be encouraging that uh, a man who is so pro-life has won this caucus because everybody was saying six months ago, Rudy Giuliani is the man to beat. And he still may be the man to beat. He still may be the front runner uh, nationally. But to see that actually a pro-life candidate won this caucus, not a pro-choice or pro-abortion candidate. Who came in second place? The man who had been front runner up until two or three weeks ago, and that is multimillionaire and Mormon Mitt Romney. Well, we won the silver. And, and congratulations to Governor Huckabee for winning the gold. Nice job. But, uh, you know, just as Jan Jansen pointed out, uh, you win the silver in one event, it doesn't mean you're not going to come back and win the gold in the final event, and that we're going to do. Okay, Mitt Romney reminding everybody that he ran the Salt Lake City Olympics. He's got plenty of bronze, silver, and gold to keep funding his campaign. He wants to get the gold. He wants to go on to the end, and we'll see if he does well in New Hampshire. Let's go now, though, to the third-place winner. I predicted this, and Fred Thompson had to win third yesterday to stay in the race. Here's Senator Fred Thompson on his third place finish. Well, I don't know whether it's going to be um, a definitive third or tied for third or whatever, but it's pretty clear that uh, we're going to we're going to have a, a ticket to the next dance. You ready to dance? Okay, the next dance. And Fred 
Thompson is a conservative on economics, on immigration, and he has said that Roe versus Wade ought to be overturned. It's bad law and bad science and bad medicine. He's pro-life. Here's Fred Thompson talking about the way forward. And we'll have to look at the final numbers and we'll have to look at our money situation and uh, all of that, but it looks like somebody's going to need to carry a strong, consistent, conservative message, and it looks like it ought to be me. Well, here's the fact. In this number one Huckabee, number two Romney, number three Thompson, the Republicans have three candidates who say they're pro-life and say they're pro-family. I think that's an encouraging uh, range of options for the Republicans. But uh, don't forget, there are more states to come. And who better to remind us than Howard Dean? What's next? after Iowa. Not only are we going to New Hampshire, Tom Harkin, we're going to South Carolina and Oklahoma and Arizona and North Dakota and New Mexico. We're going to California and Texas and New York. We're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. (laughs) Okay. Well, he didn't do it, but sure is funny to listen to that. But that's probably enough politics for now, let's move over now to hard theology. Pat Robertson says God has given him six predictions for 2008. But wait a minute, what happened in 2007? Did Robertson get it right? And does God really give this kind of revelation today? We'll talk to a theologian about it when we come right back. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. The Lord was saying that there's going to be violence and chaos in the world. This is not going to be a peaceful year. And lo and behold, we'd hardly finished the prayer meeting than the screens were filled with violence in Kenya. Okay, that sounds like uh, Pat Robertson is claiming that God gave him a word about 2008 for violence. There's going to be violence in the world. And he says, on that day's news cycle, here we have all this violence in Kenya. Uh, is that an evidence there that that Robertson is really getting these uh, New Year's predictions accurate every year? Well, this was Wednesday, 700 Club, just two days ago. Pat Robertson is the founder of the Christian Broadcasting Network, host of the 700 Club, founder of the Christian Coalition, one-time presidential candidate. And uh, Pat Robertson has sort of uh, got a tradition now on January 1st of every year of making predictions for the new year. And there were actually six of those predictions. The first, for violence and chaos. Now, with us to talk about it is Dr. Barry Creamer. He's professor of humanities here at Criswell College. He also teaches philosophy and ethics and theology, and he's sometime host here of Jerry Johnson Live. Dr. Creamer, I think you're up in Colorado. Welcome to the program. Well, I'm in New Mexico right now, but I'm sure glad to be on the air with you. Okay, well, it's good to have you. Uh, Let's listen to a couple of these predictions, and uh, uh, I'd like your reaction. Here is Pat Robertson predicting... For 2008, uh, economic downfall. I also believe that the Lord was saying by 2009, maybe 2010, is going to be a major stock market crash. Okay, Dr. Kramer, actually, there are a lot of ways we could talk about this, but uh, first I just want to analyze each, each particular prophecy. He said, the Lord said, 
maybe 2008, maybe 2009. I want to ask you, you know, if God was going to give a date, do you think there would be a maybe to this? <laughs> Obviously not. And, you know, what he's saying illustrates why things like this drive me crazy, because a statement the Lord may be saying, or the Lord said maybe in 2008, highlights the difference between God speaking and us listening. And that's what I always uh, hold in anxiety when someone says, the Lord said. I don't doubt the Lord can speak. I'm just not real confident about how well people hear when he speaks. And unless it's written in the book, I'm just not going to have confidence that what they're telling me has any authority at all. Well, let's move on to uh, Pat Robertson's prediction of evangelism. The Lord said that evangelism is going to intensify, and as the chaos develops, people are going to be seeking God. They're going to be seeking spiritual answers. Now, Dr. Kramer, that actually sounds pious and sounds spiritual, and we sure. would hope we'd hope for that. Sure. But uh, still, as a matter of principle, let's begin now to talk about um, whether or not these predictions sound good and hopeful. Uh, let's talk about the theology of this thing. Air Pat's saying that God is speaking to him about the new year and what's going to happen, sure. and, and then announcing it to all. It's yeah. almost as if this is a kind of ongoing special revelation. Could yeah. you talk to the listeners about that? Well, I, I think that's exactly the problem. You know, we have one authority or we have no authority. And what I mean by one authority is not that, you know, for instance, other Christians do have authority with us, but when it comes down to it, you have to have one ultimate source of authority for the things you say you believe, or you have no authority at all except yourself, picking between the things that are given to you to choose from. And if the authority is the Word of God, is the Scriptures, and that's what we're going to believe, then we can't go running to other sources of what you mentioned a moment ago perfectly, a special revelation, this special message from God about some authoritative truth that we ought to yield to. And, uh, it, you know, it just it, it undermines, even though they don't want it to, and even though they'll say, well, there's nothing contradictory between this and the Bible, there is something contradictory. The, the contradiction is saying that there is a source of authoritative revelation from outside of the Scripture, and uh, that's just not true. Okay, let's move down the list because there are more of these predictions. This one is the most interesting in many ways because we've been talking about the elections, who's winning, who's losing. And uh, back uh, years ago in the last cycle, Pat Robertson predicted that George Bush would be reelected. That was a Pat Robertson predict- prediction that came true. And uh, But now let's hear what God told Pat about the elections. Okay. He told me some things about the election, but I'm not going to say because some old man on 60 Minutes will make fun of me, so I'm not going to tell you who the, who the winner is going to be. <laughs> All right. Now, why tell us that God told him something about the elections, but then he can't tell us? Well, uh, what do you make of that? And one? The, you know, this is the significance of Deuteronomy 18. It's the whole point. Is he a legitimate prophet or not? If he's a legitimate prophet, everything he says is going to come to pass has to come to pass. And if not, you know, maybe we're not going to follow some Old Testament law and stone him to death, but for crying out loud, we should quit believing his prophecies at least. All right. Well, let's go to miracles. He says this is going to be a year of miracles and angels. He said that evangelism was going to increase and that there would be a number of angelic manifestations. I think that uh, we will see the presence of angels and we will see an intensification of miracles. Okay, what about that? If, you know, if there is, if, if there are more angel appearances, 
don't I want to read Galatians 1 and make sure that I don't believe what they tell me unless I already have heard it from the Scriptures, from the, the Gospel that Paul gives me? I mean, why would I put my confidence in things like that? I, I just don't understand. I don't, I don't even know why he would be motivated to do these things. Well, let's, uh, let's uh, go back then to what you mentioned in Deuteronomy 18 because sure. uh, Pat Robertson is admitting, uh, finally, that some of the things he predicted last year really didn't play out uh, as he thought God told him they would. Here's Pat's explanation. Last year, I felt God was saying that there was going to be a uh, some kind of a, a terrorist attack that might involve a, a nuclear weapon. Uh, it hasn't happened. didn't happen in 2007. And all I can think is that uh, somehow the people of God prayed, and God in His mercy spared us. Okay, so Pat is attributing that to prayer and intervention. And uh, uh, this is Jerry Johnson Live. Our guest is Dr. Barry Creamer. We're really talking about... Pat Robertson's claim on an annual basis to hear from God about major world events for the new year. It's a kind of Christian version of Nostradamus and, uh, you know, laying out uh, a G. Dixon style, what's coming down, National Enquirer. Uh, Let me ask you this. Let's go back, actually, Dr. Kramer, to the predictions in 2007. We have that sound uh, particularly about nuclear war. I want our listeners to listen very carefully to this, and uh, let's let's listen to what Pat predicted last year. I'm not saying necessarily nuclear. The Lord didn't say nuclear, but I do believe it'll be something like that. That'll that'll be a mass killing, possibly millions of people, uh, major cities. All right, mass killings, millions of people, major cities, and I think somewhat like Gene Dixon. Uh, you know, you can just watch the news and think some of this might happen. You know, Al-Qaeda and others are planning this. So certainly I think the average person on the street could say, hey, there's a good possibility we're finally going to get hit again after 9-11. Sure. Maybe he's playing the odds. I don't know, subconsciously. But uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, what's I your evaluation now of this? Be, I'm sorry. I go on the assumption he's not trying to be deliberately deceptive, but... I just, I, I, I can't, I, let's say he got all of his predictions right last year. That wouldn't make him a prophet. It would simply mean that we were going to have more confidence in what he said this year, which I don't think we should have had anyway, because he doesn't have the authority to tell us what the Lord has said is going to happen next year, unless he can show it to me in black and white in the book. Now, here's what is in black and white. You mentioned Deuteronomy 18. I want to read this, Great. because people... Uh, want to know when he misses a prediction what do we make of this here's deuteronomy eighteen twenty, but the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name which i have not commanded him to speak or that shall speak in the name of other gods even that prophet shall die and if thou shalt say in the heart how shall we know the word which the lord has not spoken here's the answer when a prophet speaks in the name of the lord if the thing follows not nor comes to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken, but the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. According to Deuteronomy 18, Deuteronomy 18, Dr. Creamer, what's your verdict on Pat Robertson as a spiritual soothsayer? It makes him a false prophet. There's just nothing else you can say about it. I, I, I'm just... 
I think the reason we're tempted to make these kinds of predictions is because it lends credence to what we're saying or it, it causes people to be in awe of our message. And, and, you know, what I always want to call people back to is to remember that there's so much power in the Word that's written mm. that if we'll proclaim that with confidence, people will be drawn to a message of far greater power than just predicting some Gene Dixon-like thing from the future. Well, we're going to talk about that in the next segment. Uh, Dr. Kramer, I want to remind you of something that happened earlier in the year. Here is Pat Robertson on who he thinks the next president ought to be. It is my pleasure to announce my support for a mayor, America's mayor, Rudy Giuliani. Okay, and I think here Pat was riding the wave of uh, the inevitable front runner. But here's the founder of the Christian Coalition endorsing a pro abortion pro-choice candidate, a pro-homosexual rights candidate, and what's your final word on Pat Robertson today? Well, I was shocked and very disappointed that he did that when he did and, and thought probably what you did, that he was worried about becoming irrelevant and wanted to maintain his relevance by hopping on the bandwagon. I just think we have to be more careful about the words we're hearing and make sure that they're from the Lord. And the only way we know that is when they're in the Scriptures. And so that's where we go for our authority. Other Christians, the Holy Spirit, verify those things, solidify those things in us. But I can't know I'm hearing it right if I don't see it in black and white in the book. Dr. Barry Creamer, thank you for being with us. The New Testament says, test all things, prove all things, and then approve what is good. My Amen. people perish for a lack of knowledge. We need to have discernment into these times. And uh, we'll continue to talk about this. We'll be right back. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Uh, don't miss next week. We're going to have Henry Morris to talk about creation and evolution. Also, Ralph Reed will be here to comment on the lead-up to New Hampshire. Newt Gingrich is confirmed for a live interview next week. And Richard Land, as we have our God and Country, One Nation Under God emphasis at Criswell College and KCBI uh, in the month of January. But we were just talking about Pat Robertson and these bogus predictions that he's making. And also his endorsement of Rudy Giuliani. Now, we need to go back to this because we were talking about the election and Pat Robertson endorsing a pro-abortion, pro-homosexual rights kind of a candidate. And that's very strange for the founder of the Christian Coalition to do that. And I want to remind you that Rudy Giuliani was the front-runner 
in the Republican race for the White House. He still may be nationally when you look at the polls, although he's losing uh, ground there. But last night, I think he got 3% or less in these primaries. He came in way down the line, way down the list. And uh, But I do want to remind you of Rudy's position. He says not only uh, he, he would say, oh, I want to reduce abortion, but he does believe in a fundamental right to kill the unborn child. I think we can agree, all of us on this stage, that we should seek reductions in abortion. I ultimately do believe in a woman's right of choice, but I think that there are ways in which we can reduce abortions. Abortions went down 16 percent when I was the mayor. Adoptions went up 133 percent. All right, listen. He says, ultimately, I believe in a woman's fundamental right of choice. What he means is there, there's a fundamental, ultimate right to kill the unborn child. That cannot be right. It cannot be good. It cannot be American, in my view, because the Declaration of Independence, the birth certificate for the United States says, we are endowed by our Creator with a right to life. That's a gift of God. Government can't take it away. A doctor can't take it away. A woman can't take it away. And Rudy needs to get the declaration right. But Rudy not only says there's a right to this abortion, you need to know this. Rudy Giuliani says you should have to pay for it. Listen carefully. There must be public funding for abortions for poor women. All right, there it is. There must be public funding. Did you hear that? What he means is you have to pay for it with your taxpayer dollars. Do you really believe that? Do you think America's going to go for that? Do you think conservatives and Republicans will go for that? I certainly uh, hope not. And uh, I like uh, the kind of language I hear from somebody like Senator Fred Thompson. He came in third yesterday in the primary. Here's Fred Thompson on abortion. I think Roe versus Wade was bad law and bad medical science. And the way to address that is through uh, good judges. All right, so he believes Roe versus Wade ought to be overturned. You take Roe versus Wade in 1973 on the same uh, cycle. There was Doe versus Bolton. Two Supreme Court cases essentially made abortion on demand all the way up to nine months the law of the land. If you understand those two cases together, essentially abortion on demand all the way up to nine months the law of the land of the land. Those decisions from the Supreme Court were bad decisions, and they do need to be overturned. Now, I know a lot of people would say, well, you're surely getting really political here, uh, talking about the primaries, talking about Giuliani and so forth, and uh, that's not too spiritual or Christian or pious. Well, let me just talk to you about this. Why should you care? I know a lot of Christians who say, oh, the election isn't until November. Why should we care? Why would you give all of this airtime to this topic? And uh, let's just talk about the Christian worldview. It means that Christianity is not just about prayer and faith and heaven and hell and Jesus and sin, but it's about all of life, all of life. The Bible addresses all of life. And let's just start with what Jesus said. People say, what would Jesus do? Jesus says, you are the salt and the light. You are salt and you are light. Christians ought to be injecting um, salt and saltiness into the culture and light in a, in a dark world. 
and we need to be involved in the political process. You say, well, I don't buy that. Well, uh, what did Jesus say on this? Uh, Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Okay. Now, if you lived in a dictatorship or an oligarchy or a monarchy, there wouldn't be much for you to do except obey the law. But in America, Caesar is representative government. Caesar is a democratic republic. Caesar is a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. The House of Representatives are representatives of the people. We believe in self-government here in America. And if you're going to obey Jesus, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, that means you have a responsibility in self-government to express your convictions, to express your Christianity, to express what God would want in the political sphere. Just as a president should or a policeman should do the right thing, as a voter you should do the right thing and exert your influence. Be salt, be light. And it will not do to wait till November on this. You need to be involved in the primary processes. I really believe that. You need to know about these candidates. You need to know about these issues because this is a representative democracy. We have no one else to blame if we don't engage in the primaries and then we complain that we've got all these bad candidates or, you know, it's the lesser of two evils. And we do have to understand the proper role of government. That's very important for Christians. And I've talked about this before. Going to Romans 13... God has a specific assignment for government, and that is to protect human life. Write down Genesis 9-6. Write down Romans chapter 13. God is concerned with the sanctity of innocent human life. And God appoints government, the sword, force, if necessary, deadly force to protect human life. That's very similar to what the American Constitution says about the government and its primary function to protect us from enemies, foreign and domestic, and to protect us uh, from what President Bush would call the evildoers, to protect us from the terrorists and from criminals. That is the primary role of government. Christians ought to be law and order kinds of people, but we also ought to be looking out for the unborn and the newborn. We ought to be against abortion, against infanticide, also for the elderly and the helpless. We ought to be against euthanasia and mercy killing and assisted suicide. That is a proper role for government, and Christians should be agitating for this kind of government, a government that respects the sanctity of human life. We'll be hard on the terrorist, hard on uh, those who commit genocide, and equally standing up for human rights and human life here in the United States. It means we're going to have to oppose abortion, have to impose, oppose infanticide and euthanasia. That's the kind of government we need, and God has called you to be a part of it. Well, this is Jerry Johnson live from Criswell College. I look forward to talking to you next week. New Hampshire coming up next week. If you're not engaged yet, you can get involved next week. We'll see you then. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective. 